When your ideal customer's kids are begging every night to read your book, you've won. At Dinosaur House, we turn industry leaders into kids' book authors. We don't do it because it's a super fun thing to do, although it is. We do it because it's highly strategic. Imagine if every night your customers are being asked by their kids to read a book that your company made. Talk about brand affinity. You're helping your customers connect deeply with the most important thing in their lives, their kids, over something that they are passionate about that has to do with your industry. If you want to have a conversation with us about how your brand could become the author of a kid's book, just hit us up, dinosaurhouse.com. Hit the little button that says schedule a story design call. And we'll have a jam session together on just what your company's kids book could and should be. Hi, everybody. This is Anya Leisner. I'm so happy to be with you today. I am the founder and head of R&D at Stockel Dreamery, and we are creating the world's most ambitious cheese. And today you're listening to The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. What's up, Purpose Driven Entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer. My guest today, Anya Leisner. Anya, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. It's my absolute honor to be here. I have to say it's so much fun. Um, it was so great talking to you uh, earlier when we when we when we talked the first time. Um, love your tagline, "World's most ambitious cheese." Um, I is there is there an issue for you with with the with the term cheese? I think you mentioned last time we talked yeah. that like there's like a big cheese, uh, big dairy um, crackdown on the the use of what's that like? Yeah, you know, big farm. I got nothing on big dairy, especially in Europe. <laughs> I feel like no, but it's uh, yeah. Sorry, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, I got you. <laughs> go ahead. Say, uh, we'll, we'll cut that little section out. Say that last thing again. What you were about to say? Yeah. So here in Europe, we're actually not allowed to refer to anything, any plant-based substitute in the dairy category as milk mm. or cheese or anything like that. You can use like meat substitutes. You can use meatballs and beef, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but as I said, the dairy industry has a chokehold uh, and it's very big, especially in Nordic, the Nordic countries. So we're not allowed to even refer to anything similar to cheese. So we have to be very, very, you know, creative with uh, what we're going to call our products. And, and that's why we ended up with names that are very descriptive. So we have a first product called Chunk because it comes in a, in a, you know, as a chunk and you can crumble it and use it as a feta cheese. Then we have melt. It's going to be the melting cheese on a pizza. We have spread our spreadable cheese. Yeah. You get the drift. It's not too complicated. But so I guess that's when it comes to like product packaging, but, but like for podcasts and media and that sort of thing, you can say that you're a cheese. Yeah. They can't stop me for doing that. Right. I feel like we should give our listeners some context. So just to give context on you and Stockheld uh, uh, Dreamery, um, what, uh, what, when did the company start? What's been your growth? Um, and, and what exactly is it that you sell and to who? Well, honestly, we don't sell that much just yet. We're still very early on. And this company is founded on uh, an innovation that I did when I researched insect and plant proteins back then, already in 2017. 
and I didn't really know what to do with my discovery. And I was talking to different companies thinking I should like, I don't know, sell it or license it or just kind of emerge into a bigger context. But then I read an article about my co-founder and he was looking for someone with a technical competence and he wanted to make plant-based cheese. And I just did that the last week in the lab. So it really was, you know, an epiphany and, and something that was uh, in the stars. And we, we met up and it was a very immediate connection in that we shared the common ambition and drive and vision, what we like to accomplish. So we started this little company in the beginning of 2019 and we were self-funded for the first year. We were three people company. We didn't have any product. We traveled 45 minutes to get to the little lab that we found outside of Stockholm here in Sweden. It was cold, it was very lonely. And our CEO, my co-founder, he was actually in the lab doing the dishes while I was, you know, making my formulation and trying things out. So that was all through the first year. And by the end of that year, we had enough proof points and uh, had enough confidence in each other as well that we wanted to take it further. So we had a seed round and raised 3.4 million euros, which is not bad when it comes to a company that doesn't have a product or anything to show for it whatsoever. And that enabled us to grow from three to 13 people the coming year and to have our first product being produced and launched and to also apply for a patent for my technology for the, in this product. Uh, and that, uh, on the other hand, then made it possible for us to have a Series A round where we raised almost $20 million. And uh, that set us up pretty well. So we finished that round last year, uh, 2021. And we're now about to launch our second product, the Spreadable Cheese. We are 36 or 35 people in the company now. We are about to move into 200 square meters new facility. We have our own pilot facility as well. So things are moving along very quickly, I would say. And it's a very exciting period in, in the company's history right now. That's amazing. So you said you met you met your co-founder and very quickly you knew that he was who you wanted to work with. How what how how is that? How did you know so quickly? Well, honestly, you never know. <laughs> Uh, what I did know is that we are very, very different people. So I am super nerdy. You know, I love reading books. I, I love watching fantasy. <laughs> I'm like, really, and, and I'm, I, I went to school forever at the university, right? So I just love learning things. And he, on the other side, been like doing this whole entrepreneurial, um, you know, experience and uh, was, this is his second company and he He's been in the tech industry. So we have very, very different background when he's much more commercial and I'm much more driven by the technology, the discovery, and, and also the kind of the purpose of, of doing something good, you know. Uh, but we were very much aligned when it comes to the vision we had for the company. And if it's the right person and not to work with, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I think the time will tell. You never know that. But we definitely have the same goal for this company we want to build. And I think that's the number one most important thing. In our last conversation, I asked you about a hard problem that like one of the hardest problems to solve within your business. And you talked about uh, raising funds. 
and you said that you could probably mm. give some do's and don'ts when it comes to raising funds. What are some things that you've learned about raising funds that are absolute do's and absolute don'ts? Uh, that's a great question. I should start writing uh, books or pamphlets on this, I think. Uh, and, and I can also add that throughout these years, for us, actually, the whole raising funds process has been uh, like ridiculously easy compared to what many other companies go through. Mm. And that is, I think, the combination of the scientist and the entrepreneur, as well as my co-founder's background and having a lot of connections already kind of coming into the company. So we, we actually had it easy. I, I'm almost ashamed, but I have gained a lot of learnings and experience. And I'm also helping different uh, VCs, different investors, to evaluate startups. So uh -huh. I have evaluated, I don't know, maybe 50 six by now. Okay. So I, I can tell- Is that one of the things that you look for? Do you look for scientist plus um, like more, uh, I don't know, entrepreneurial? I, I, I'm struggling to find the right yeah. word, but like what you would typically think of like a tech, you know, founder sort of person. Yes. Actually, I, that, this is what I've been told over and over again. So, and, and that's, it's a simple reason to it. If you are very commercial or business driven, you are often, I'm not going to say this is always the case, but you are often maybe less inclined to be super down and deep into the technology. Because mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a different personality trait and, and interest, I think. So those are more maybe facing outwards, but the, you know, the scientists are very much facing inwards and going deep into the technology and, and really want to go. So I think in general, when VCs, when investors are looking for something, when they have uh, founders that are only either in the business side or only either on the, the technology and the science side that they are looking for then to have additional team member as, as the core members to kind of complement that experience or otherwise they will feel much less inclined to invest. I had this discussion just earlier in this week when I had uh, again a, a VC reaching out to me and then wanted to hear my opinion on a company. So this is definitely something they, they always and especially so I would say the biggest the biggest advice I can get is to be very mindful of where you're at in, in the journey of your company, because you will be building different pitch deck depending on where you are, what kind of money you're raising and what kind of investors you're seeking. You okay. will also How so? what do you what do you mean? I you mean, you'll be building that... different pitch decks. <laughs> so um, you should always think, and I don't have to tell you this, I know, but you should always consider your audience, right? So let's say you are a very early startup, and uh, then you most likely don't want to raise too much money because if you have a crazy high evaluation, it just make it that much more difficult to, to kind of reach the goal and into that. So you, you need to to raise a, a decent amount of money to get you to the next phase, to get your proof points and to show your worth and also try out the team and everything. So you want to have, you will have a pitch that will kind of cater to those needs. And also you should have different pitches. You should have one pitch that you, you're ready to, to pull out like in the early beginnings when you're talking to different investors, that it's much more on a higher level. And then you will have another pitch that are, is much more technical or goes much more down to details. Mm. And in the, in, if you're early on, you should focus a lot 
on the team, what kind of advices you have, what kind of experience you have in the team, what kind of vision you have for the coming years. And you should really be pitching yourself and your vision because that's going to be what they're betting on. But that's only early on when you are then, you know, further along in your journey, then you have to be able to show some proof points. You have to be able to show some numbers. You have to be able to show some business case or at least a very clearly defined plan. Because if you've been going at it for, let's say, a couple of years, and if you wouldn't have this very clear plan for how to go to market, how to succeed, how are you going to win against the competition, et cetera, et cetera, then you will lose a lot of credibility. Hmm. But then again, if you were to present that kind of plan early on, that could also make you lose credibility because there's so many unknowns that the investors will be very suspicious of you telling them, yes, I'm going to, uh, after six months, I'm going to be doing this. And after nine months, I'm going to be doing this because that, that tells the investors that you are not taking all the different unknowns into consideration. So Got know it. your audience, know where you're at in, in your stage and, and kind of cater and tailor your pitch deck accordingly. I love it. I love it. Okay. That was my interruption to what you're saying. Did you have any other definite <laughs> do's or definite don'ts when it comes to raising? Funds? Yes. I, I have something I, I, that I hate when, so, so I said, I, I've been going through, I don't know if it's 50 pitch decks by now. I've been doing this for almost three years. Uh, and there's one thing that just keeps on reoccurring and it's this table that, that people love to have with uh, their, their company and the competi competitors and then the different kind of qualities that they're looking for. So it could be clean energy or, or yeah, clean label or whatever it is where their company is the only one that has you know, all the green uh, ticks in the boxes and the other company has the red crosses or whatever. And this is something that I have seen in, it's, it's literally 95% of the pitch decks. And okay. I'm absolutely allergic to it because it's such a, like someone who can show the same thing in a new innovative way would definitely have a vote from me because I've seen that so many times everyone does it. And, and there's always, you know, only green boxes for their own company. No one else can compete. It's, it's red crosses and everything. And it's just, it's not very credible. I just, I just get so tired. So please, for the love of God, don't do that. <laughs> do you think, do you think cut it all together or like replace it with what? Replace it with something creative. Uh, I don't know, make a, you know, a, a pie diagram or whatever it's called in English. You just, just do something else or use pictures or like, or, or tell that story in a different way. Because one thing that I know that myself and, and also the, the investors will react to is that if you are overly confident, if you are not aware of what, what the competitors are doing and how they are, where they are strong and where they could be winning, if you kind of try to have a blind, turn a blind eye to that and, and do not express that you have thought of it and thought of how to counteract it, you again will lose credibility. So, you know, don't ever pretend like there's no competition out there. Show that you're very well aware of the competition that you have looked into them, you have found the weakness, you have found their strength, but most importantly, that you know how to contract it and how you are going to win. That is what's going to build your case and, and increase your credibility and the trust you have with investors. 
so, so definitely don't. And it's always fine as well if you get a question. It's perfectly fine to say, hey, I don't have the answer for you just yet. It's a great question and I'm going to get back to you after this meeting or whatever. Uh, and that because I think a well, lot of people would feel that. like that that would hurt their credibility. Yes, uh, I know. And, and this is also or maybe their, their chances to make a note. Yeah, I was just about to make a note because I think it's a huge difference between Europe and US. Okay. Right. So I've been talking to some investors in, in US, but uh, obviously being situations in Europe, this is where my focus has been. So I think in Europe, it's perfectly, it's like it's, it, it, it gives you cred to say, hey, that's a great question. Uh, I, I, when I think about it right now, I can give you this answer, but I would love to, to really get into it and I can provide you with a better answer tomorrow or whatever, because that shows that you're taking the question seriously and, and you like, and, and you, when you always, when you say, oh, that's a great question, such a clever question, ah, that's the best question I have, an amazing question, then you also make the people, the person asking the question feel, you know, good about this, it's like, oh yeah, I, have, I had the yeah. hardest question ever, you know, and that's always good to boost the It's egos. the best you, way you to buy yourself try. time, <laughs> you're trying to think of yes. an answer. <laughs> and like fluff, fluff someone up. So in Europe, this goes a long way, but I actually think in the US, you should probably use bullshit as much as you possibly can because it is a different situation <laughs> where, as you said, if you're like, oh, I don't have the answer for you, I'll get back to you. I'm not sure that will have the same kind of positive response that I know that it has uh, here in Europe. So uh, going for US, uh, I would definitely say to, to just kind of uh, pull, pull an answer from somewhere and, and just make it sound good. So, uh, Anya, when we talked last, I asked you about like a mistake that you've made uh, in growing this company. And you, yeah. you told me a story and I was like, I have to include this in the podcast. Can you tell the rocket cheese uh -huh. story? Yes, uh, of course I can tell the rocket cheese story. Uh, thank you again for making me repeat it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I am a, a very... Uh, I, I think the best of everyone and of every situation. And, and that's just my, like my, my basic, my level zero. Uh, and I'm also very like, uh, I, I like to, I have a lot of crazy ideas. And one of these crazy ideas was that, you know, and, but this is not crazy, but I really believe magic happens when different worlds collide. And it's really yes. dangerous to just stick to like-minded people. Like in my team, I don't have one other Swedish in my R&D team. There's not one other Swedish person there. So I like to find, you know, the diversity and, and like get different insights. Uh, so, so this is, you know, uh, in the beginning of the company, I'm very new to, to doing the whole recruitment, you know, from defining the role, expectations, what this person going to do, yada, 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 yada. And we had an astrophysicist, physicist, however you pronounce that in English, uh, yeah, applying for a position. Yes, thank you. What you said, uh, applying for a position with us. And she was also such a passionate vegan. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to ditch my boyfriend and I'm moving to Stockholm. She was from the UK. Uh, and I, I have all of these skills, going to pour everything into this company. I'm going to do it my best. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. 
this is amazing. She's been to NASA, right? So of course we can make the rocket cheese. That's that's where it come from. And I really believe that at least combining these two worlds, like science is science, no matter which area you're at. Um, but that was that was a, a huge mistake on, on my end. And it wasn't really fair uh, to her and it wasn't really fair to, to the company either. So it was it was a lovely idea that should have been kept as an idea and not tried to be implemented because it was just it was a, yeah, a bad fit in, in every shape and form. Uh, so, so in, yeah, that, that's it, one of my learnings in the height of rocket cheese's glory. What was yeah. it going to be? Like, what were you what were you so excited about? You were like, oh my gosh, we're gonna come together and this is what we're gonna make. First of all, by the way, like just, just thinking about it as an outsider, I'm like, it honestly sounds like a great idea. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. You're very kind. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And no, but I was I was very open to you know whatever it could be. It could be something completely new. And and we have uh, we have actually in Sweden we have uh, this uh, very old traditional <laughs> kind of crazy kind of cheese that's called rocket cheese. So you know it could have been whatever. But I was just intrigued by what you know a very different area would bring to the food industry. Like what what could that be? What what would be like? I she she just had completely like carte blanche to do whatever she wanted to do. Okay. Um, but yeah, it it didn't turn out well at all. There there was no stars <laughs> anywhere in sight. As as someone who like my entire business is built on me coming to uh, founders of companies and being like, hey, got this crazy outside the box idea for you. Like your company produces a kid's book for your audience, right? So yeah. so like my whole, like the success of my company is built on the whack, the same kind of wackiness that would cause rocket cheese. Um, yeah. <laughs> what did you learn from that experience because obviously you don't want to stop yourself. I think you don't want to stop yourself yeah. from being open to like a out, out of left field sort of idea that can help you mm. either be more marketable or, you know, fill in the blank. Um, mm. So, yeah, what did you pull from that and how and how how do you think about your own openness to crazy, wacky ideas now? Uh, extremely open, obviously, and I think I, I always will be. I think it's, uh, again, just a default setting that I can't escape. Uh, but I think one of the biggest learnings, it was a humbling experience that kind of, you know, took me down a notch. And that's always good, because in, in that we learn and we grow and we become more confident. So, so it's a good thing. But it also really made me think about how can I create this very like trusting creative environment without you know <laughs> adding crazy people to it so how can I achieve the same <laughs> you know magic uh, in-house but but have it with with the right kind of talent adding into it so I have put so much focus and empathy on empath uh, yeah so much focus on creating a trusting and create a creative environment with my team where they are like sometimes you you will have someone say I have a stupid question that is absolutely forbidden I will I'm such a kind and friendly person but if you tell me that oh I'm sorry I have this stupid question I will snap at you and I would say don't you dare because there are no stupid question I do not accept that kind of language in my company so any question you have 
any idea you have, whatever you have, you have the completely freedom to just throw it at the table. And myself and everyone else in the R&D team will respect it. So no one looks down on anyone. No one criticizes anyone. You respect it. You will challenge it. You will pick it up. And you're like, oh, what, what's this? I'm not sure how it's going to fit into that, but and whatever. And we will have a great discussion around it. But there are no negativity. There is like a positive, friendly curiosity that in, instead will increase the creativity and, and create innovation instead of kind of hinders it. So I think that has been my, my biggest learning and my biggest focus on how to create this climate. And I have people, every time we have people coming from the outside that are visiting the, the lab or, or saying hi to my team, I will have an email or I will have a phone call like a, a day or two after when they're like, oh my God, these people are so friendly they're so welcoming. Like, I didn't even know a company or people like this is, existed. Like, what, what, what have you done? What is this? And, and that is the magic that we have created at Stockfield. Did this come naturally to you as a leader? Or what have you had to figure out and develop in yourself to develop uh, that kind of a culture? Uh, yes and no. Uh, it does come natural because I'm an extremely supportive person and I'm also an extremely over perhaps caring person, uh, but also because I am so passionate and engaged in everything I do, I think that that could also be a bit, you know, overpowering. So what I have to learn is to actually take a step back and make sure to let people make their own mistakes because they, they cannot learn if I'm always there to correct or, you know, pick them up when they fall or stop the fall from happening altogether. So that's something I really had to learn because I have, uh, I, ha I have a lot of experience and knowledge and I very often will know how something will end up and to sit back and actually, yeah. actually keep quiet and just letting that play out. That has been extremely challenging to me. And I think that took me a year or so to, to really master. Now I'm, I'm super good at it. And it's all part of, you know, delegating and also making sure the team have the room and space to grow and to improve. Uh, and that's super important. So it's, it comes natural and it's also been a learning process. I, I agree with you. Um, something that I've noticed is um, because I'm a natural problem solver, oftentimes people at Dinosaur House will come to me with their problems. Uh, and it can yeah. be problems that, you know, I don't, that's not really like, like it's very much something that I think that they could probably solve on their own, you know, uh, mm. but they'll come to me with the problem. And I have gone all over the map in terms of how I handle that. My knee jerk reaction mm. for the longest time would be, I would just give them the answer. I'd be like, well, yeah. here's what I would do if I were you. And then yeah. I had to force myself to stop doing that. And yeah. I, I, the thing that I switched to was I would just respond with, I trust you. Like they would come to be like, hey, I have this problem. Oh, I, I can't figure that. out how to. And I'd say, I trust yeah. you. I trust that you'll yeah. figure it out. Um, and yeah. it was hard because in my brain, I immediately I was thinking of solutions. And yes. <laughs> the reality is it's, it's, it's better if I'm not being brought a bunch of problems because you know, there are legitimate problems that I will put on myself that I need to solve. Mm. Um, so, mm. so that was one thing that I've done. The other thing that I've done is I will, um, I will just sort of like be with the person while they are figuring out what they're going to do. And then I just practice mm. holding my tongue. This is instead yeah. of like, I don't think that'll work. I think you should do this. I'm just like, yeah, let's see if that works. And it exactly. feels very weird. <laughs> I know. What 
Um, is there anything that you yeah. do that's along these lines that you think is better than that? Because I'm all ears. Something that's better than that? No, but I think I, I'm doing exactly that. I'm, I'm also encouraging people, even though I, I know that something might not play out the way they, they would like. I'm like, yeah, I have completely trusted you. Uh, maybe I also, when it comes to conflicts or if there's any issues, I always encourage also people to not come to me like with it uh, <laughs> directly, yeah. but just sort it out between themselves. Uh, and, and like treat them as, as grown up, responsible people that can handle, you know, if there's any miscommunications or misunderstanding or anything like that. So, so that's something that I'm also very kind of affirmative about, like, you can handle it. I know you can handle it. If you need me, I'm here. I can sit in the room. I can give you whatever support you want, but I know you got this. I know you yeah. got this, and 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 this is I we did we have a, a tool called Unfrankly. I don't know if you heard of it or if it's a, no, a thing no, in the no. US, but it's it's to kind of measure the the uh, the the health like the status of the people working there. So it's a completely anonymous, and there's different questions, and and it's like a poll, and you will just answer the question. And sometimes it's a grading, sometimes it's yes and no, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it is, and and it gives us a better understanding on how people are actually, you know, feeling and, and how they're doing, how, how is the culture in the company? Are they, do they feel comfortable? Do they have trust in each other and the leadership and all of that? And, and I, I, I got on the last time I got so much cause it's, it's different subject every time. And then last it was around the leaders and my team gave me so much positive comments that I'm like I, I still I can't really process it <laughs> it's like mm. it doesn't it doesn't make sense and that just shows how far we have come together because I'm not I'm not doing this on my own we're doing it together and that really is the beauty of it so we are growing together and it's so clear to me and I'm really I'm really grateful for that I'm so so thankful for everything that they have taught me throughout the years what's that tool called and frankly and, and with the signed yeah yeah got it okay what got which you i think it? is a cool name like is a yeah. and frankly you know it's the expression <laughs> yeah uh it's i think it was our head of people and hr and uh, that found out about that tool from from somewhere and uh, it's a, it's a good way to just kind of tap in and see how people are doing without putting them on the spot where they actually have to come to you and say because it's that could be so intimidating and even I'm sure you also see yourself as a very friendly easy guy to talk to you you know you you like everyone can come to you but always when it is the boss it's a different thing it, it will be a different dynamic and there will be things that are uncomfortable to speak about yeah, I know when my company grows, this is probably going to be one of the things that I struggle with mm. because mm. I don't score very high on the, uh, like when I take a strength finders test, one of my yeah. core Love strengths strength fighter. is yeah. not, not very high on the day-to-day -day relational building and investment mm. that goes into what it takes to mm. foster a good relationship. Very okay, good with communication it. and very yeah. good with yeah. strategy. So one of the yeah. things that I've been doing just to hack yeah. this is 
if I want to, if I want to maintain a relationship with somebody, I will try to figure out problems that they're having either in their company Mm -hmm. or in their life or whatever, and then just try to strategize with them on, you know, solutions to those problems. Cause that gives me regular contact with that person to help develop the relationship. So (laughs) I've had to hack it because I'm not, I don't just just naturally Mm -hmm. ooze it, you know? (laughs) Um, So I know this is going to be a problem as the company grows. So um, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably end up using a tool like that or yeah. God help me, I'll have to hire somebody that's much better than I am at relationships. <laughs> we'll get a <laughs> but great you know, I, I'm sure, yeah, but I'm sure I think everyone, we all have our strengths and we all have our areas that we can improve on, but I'm sure everyone also have the room for improvements. And there's so, so many easy things you can do to address those areas. So let's say that you feel like, yeah, you're not really good at the, the daily checking in, that kind of relationship building. Then you can have, I don't know, some kind of routine that you will start every day with, you know, everyone gathering five minutes uh, or 15 minutes and grab a cup of coffee together. Or you can have, and one of the things that has been extremely valuable to me and, and to my team, I think, is that uh, no matter how much I, <clears throat> excuse me, how much I have going on, when my team approached me, when they need me, I, I will like drop everything else that I possibly can drop and come to them and listen mm. to them. And they know that I will always make the time for them. If, if I can't do it directly, I will do it as soon as, because I trust they will only reach out to me when they really need me. And they know that I will always be there for them when they do need me. And yeah. another thing is to be present, you know, when you're talking to someone, because it's so easy, especially when you're leading a company, or you think about, oh, yeah, and then it's that invoice. And, and what's going to happen tomorrow? We have that board meeting coming up. Or, oh, yeah, I have to write this chapter for the book. And oh, who's going to illustrate it? Whatever it might be, it's so easy that the thoughts are, are kind of wandering away. So try to keep that from happening and just focus very clearly on the person in front of you. Like, I don't know, fixate something in their their face their hair their nose or something and just kind of soon into that and, and stay there and stay in that moment and, and 10 minutes when you are completely present with someone and really communicating looking into their eyes and just honestly don't see anything else but them that is worth you know that's priceless it yeah. really is so yeah. I, I know you can do this there's so many different things you can do I have complete faith in you well, I appreciate that a lot, Anya. Speaking of things that uh, like people and problems and deficiencies, what is something uh, that you stink at that a year from now you want to be great at? Oof, only one thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, uh, at, at this now I'm going to sound like I'm uh, interviewing for a job because this I think what everyone thinks. I work too much. Uh, yeah. I have this discussion with my husband on not a daily basis, but on a weekly basis, uh, because I, I'm extremely passionate and I love my job and I get so much out of it. And, and it's so easy for me to prioritize that over dinner with friends, over uh-huh. walking, walking the dog together with my husband. And like, so I kind of forget sometimes to enjoy life. Mm. So I really, really stink at enjoying life Uh, so that's something I definitely a year from now I have promised myself and my husband that this is something I'm gonna get better at Uh, not to let let uh, you know the the work define my life or or, you know if I'm in good mood or in a bad mood but trying to get a little bit more distance to that and and actually not forget to enjoy life as well 
what kind of hours do you usually work? Do you honestly want to know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I often, uh, okay, so I, I, oh my God, I feel like I'm, I'm just about to, to bear my, my soul or, and my most it. dirtiest laundry, <laughs> uh, but, but I really do not have a good kind of working structure. So I will start working um, uh, in bed in the morning, okay. like around five, six o'clock in the morning. Okay. Uh, and, and trying not to wake up my husband and I will be answering emails on the phone or, you know, scheduling meetings, uh, booking meeting rooms, you know, whatever, whatever I can do uh, that doesn't require the computer and actually sitting up. Uh, so okay. I will do that for about two hours uh, in bed before I even get out of bed. Super, super bad habit, I know. Uh, then I get out of bed and I will uh, often start meetings at nine in the mornings. Okay. And then it's pretty much nonstop, uh, very often lunch meetings as well. So pretty much nonstop until, um, yeah, six, seven in the evening. Okay. Uh, I try to take a dinner break uh, between seven and eight. And then I'm at it again around uh, yeah, eight or nine in the evening. And uh, I, I try to be in bed before 12, uh, oh also as promised to my husband, but uh, it's, it happens that it's not until uh, 12, yeah, after 12, one, two sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and I also like to finish up a working day with a yoga uh, <laughs> session. Like two in the morning. So, you know, sure. I'm not, I, I'm really, I don't know. It why sounds I'm, like you're getting I'm two hours of sleep. <laughs> no, but yeah, five, maybe four, <laughs> four or five hours. It's pretty normal, actually. Oh my goodness. How long yeah. has it been like that? Yeah, since uh, two, yeah, 2018, uh, autumn. Oh, wow. And it doesn't, it doesn't wear you out? No, you know, I'm also really, really good at relaxing when I'm actually taking time out. And now the last year, I never work on Saturdays. Okay. That's mm -hmm. great. That's mm -hmm. great. I'm very <laughs> proud, as you can tell. Perfect. <laughs> that makes up for it. No, I'm not making fun of you. I get it. No, but um, honestly, I'm, I'm super... <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. But I am honestly super good at completely disconnecting when, when I do have the time off. And I go sailing with my husband uh, several yeah. weeks uh, every year, uh, more than, often more than a month. Uh, I go visit spa. I'm like talking to my friends. I, I go out. I, I drink, uh, you know, good drink. I eat good food. So I'm really, I know how to completely disconnect and not mm -hmm. even think about work uh, when, I, when I choose to. Do you, that, see, that uh, do you see a, a sort of path out of this, a path out of working this much? Like, do you think that um, you can <laughs> shrink the amount of meetings that you're doing or like, yeah, you know, what, what, what's the way out of not working this much all the time? Yeah, I have to find a way because I, I did make that promise to, to uh, my husband uh, and to myself. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, blame him for <laughs> everything. Uh, but yeah, no, also it's, I am co-founder and I am head of R&D. So just having one of those roles is enough yeah. for full-time employment, right? Yeah. And now we're having both roles. So I think what, what really is going to help me is, is when I have uh, also, we're, we're going to employ, uh, you know, um, 
talents that has and more experience that can really go in and take over real jobs from me so that I can completely let that go as well. So for example, I have a team of 12, managing 12 people and doing it well, since I do believe that it's so important to have this trusting and good climate. That also means that it takes a lot of time and effort for me. I have one-to-one meetings. I, I check in on people. If someone is feeling ill, I will always uh, you know, call or, or reach out and say, hey, how are you feeling today? How is your fever? Do you need anything? Like I do put in that effort with the team because the team is truly worth it and it's really you know it's this is this is the team that's going to make or break the company right so if i have someone that that can help me with that (laughs) that will free up immensely uh, a lot of my time so there's definitely there is a plan in place and i'm sure if we talk again a year from now i promise (laughs) you to me that my situation is going to be completely different i can't wait um, Anya, I've got one for fun question before I let you go. And that is, I'm a kid's book author. I believe that part of leaving yes. a legacy is reaching kids. What's a topic or mm. idea you'd make a kid's book about if you could? Ooh, I would love to make a kid's book about bravery. Uh, and for How me, so? bravery is not, but because I think that's something that, that I would love to see encouraged in, in, in the, the next generations to come. Because bravery is not about not being afraid. Bravery is about doing something even though you are afraid. And it could be standing up to bully. It could be going for your dreams. It could be cutting your hair. It could be something small or it could be something big. But I truly believe that bravery and and also kind of having the confidence to stand for what you believe in and and to speak up when you see injustice and and i i really like bravery for me is is something that's that can create so many uh, good things for this society but also for the person itself awesome i love it anya it's been so great talking to you um where are you most <laughs> active on social and where would you like listeners to connect with you oh linkedin uh, definitely awesome. uh yeah that's the place Otherwise, I suck at social media. (laughs) We'll have it. We'll have it linked in the description. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Oh, it was my pleasure. The best of luck to you. And Timmy, I have to ask you, what was the high point and the low point of your day today? One, you know, it was going to come. One relational (laughs) tactic that I that I I picked up from my best friend James, and I use it all the time, and it's honestly so helpful because you can you can get so intimately like into the business of somebody so quickly asking them the highlight and low light of their day. Um, yes. It's like such a personal <laughs> question because it gets to like what their values are. Like what do they get most frustrated yeah. by and what do they love the most? Yeah. Oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah. I haven't even thought about the question. Tuesday. It's Tuesday. What, what did my day look like today? I would say the highlight of my, the highlight of the day today was um, I got up in the morning. I went to Panera. That's like my routine. And I have Mm. no meetings in the morning so that I can focus on creative. I honestly couldn't even Mm. tell you what I did this morning. I don't even remember it. I Mm. just remember that I did Mm. different creative tasks that I had scheduled uh, through the morning. So that was the Mm. highlight so far of the day. Mm. Um, And then um, my low light of the day is I have a meeting right after this one that I'm very nervous for. Mm. Um, It's a customer. Oh, Why? It's a customer who is having made, so this customer, they are doing their own writing. Normally we ghostwrite for our customers, um, but they mm, wanted to do their mm. own writing and they're having writer's block. And I'm getting on this call. It's like a writer's block breaking meeting. 
So my hope is that I will actually be able to help them break through their writer's block and make significant progress on what they're working on. Uh, But uh, I'm honestly very nervous about it because um, I'm struggling to think what value I can even add. So (laughs) that's, that's the low light is how nervous I am about that meeting. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And thank you for sharing. I'm, I'm trying to pick my brain and see, because of course, this is not really my area of expertise, but writer's block is that often connected to like performance society. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, and I, I, I can't pronounce his name correctly, so uh, forgive me, but Haruku Murakami. <laughs> okay. Where he has the yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. I'll can I can send you the name. It's an amazing author. Um, but he has this where he always like he, he sets uh, his alarm clock. He gets up. I don't know if it's eight in the morning or or even earlier. And then he always writes a certain amount of time. And even if he's just writing absolutely BS things that make no sense. It's a shopping list. It's uh, uh, what he was dreaming about. It's describing the room he's sitting in, whatever it is, he just has to write for these four hours. That's just like, he he cannot budge from that. And that is how he has kept himself producing that many books through that many years, but just having this routine. Not sure if this can help you, uh, but throwing it out there. (laughs) I appreciate it a lot. I'll be thinking, I, I love the reminder that writer's block is a form of performance anxiety. That is so yeah, true. Right? That is so true. And it's worth bringing up in our meeting. Anya, thank you so yeah. much for being a guest on my podcast. And thanks for the, the, the little you. tip here at the end. <laughs>